0: glad you're here with us this morning to enjoy the sweet presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just a moment in his presence can adjust things in our hearts and our minds, our attitudes that could take you several hours of working out or whatever you do to help get yourself focused. I just think a moment in his presence is sometimes all we really need to just get our bearings and get ourselves uh, pointed in the right direction. And uh, I'm just so grateful that you're here every Sunday. I know how busy our lives are. It seems like they get busier each week, and in some ways, it feels like it gets a little more difficult each week to carve out a set time to just be together as a family of believers, as a as a body of uh, as the body of Christ, to just designate this time to corporate prayer, praise, worship, and um, we're just blessed to have you here this morning, and uh, we're just honored to know that we have. Someone who we worship who knows what's going on. Amen. Does anybody look around sometimes and you just like, you just I'm, I, I say it more often, I think, than I ever have. I say, what the heck is going on? Like, you just look around, you watch the news, you listen to the way people talk, you watch what chaos seems to be just all over the place. You just, what the heck is going on? It just feels like Twilight Zone sometimes. Like, does anybody see what's happening here? Is that just me? And you, you can't really sort it out. And I think that's part of what... Uh, is happening it says that everything that can be shaken will be shaken and when things are shaking it's hard to even focus on sometimes you ever try to watch a video and it's just shaking all over the place and it, it's hard to watch things when they're not stable and steady and I'm just so glad that we worship and serve a God who knows what's going on Amen. we may not feel like we do sometimes but he knows he knows what's going on and um, he's working some things through for our good and for eternal purposes. And I'm just blessed to be a part of that, and I just appreciate the heart of of those who attend here, that are members here, that we all want to see something change for the better in our spheres of influence, in our community, and certainly in the world. And it's a time for us to be praising and praying and worshiping people. When you're not sure what to do, I think that was the gist of last week's message. It kind of was a little all over the place, which you're used to that by now, Um, if you've been here any length of time. But the gist of it was, whatever we don't understand, let's just praise Him for who He is, because we can understand that, not by natural means, but just by the Spirit. We read who He is in Scripture, and we can just praise Him for His majesty, for the glorious Creator that He is. He has made us, and we did not make Him. And so that alone makes us uh, able to praise Him, worship Him, and just thank Him in everything, rejoicing always. We looked in Thessalonians, and I'm going to try and just continue on. We're going to go into... Uh, First Peter chapter 2 we're working our way through the books of Peter the epistles of Peter and uh, a few verses at a time and then trying to just expand on some of what's there Uh, but that is the bottom line the will of God in Christ Jesus for us is that we would rejoice always that we would continuously pray not on our knees in front of a pew but continuously commune and communicate Not just our end to his, but listening. We talk to God, but then we wait for him to talk to us. That freaks some people out, and there's whole doctrines that say, well, that can't happen. Uh, Trust me, it can happen. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. So he can speak to you. He's promised that he will if you're one of his, and so make time for that. But rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. You want to know God's will for your life? There it is. We said it last week. It took 30 or 5 or 40 minutes to say it, but there it is just in a synopsis, okay? Okay. You want to know God's will for your life? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Don't stop talking to him and don't stop listening for him to talk to you. And in everything, give thanks. All right, so you know God's will for your life. Can you do it? Can you fulfill it? I'll challenge. It sounds easy until some things happen. I, I was amazed at how fast I was challenged just last week. I found myself... Um, I forgot to say there was one little add-on to that message. You are allowed to complain about referees when they're refing a terrible game, especially <laughs> if it's a call against your team. Uh, you can complain about them just for a minute, and then you got to repent and move on. But uh, I mean, I did it, so I figured you know, might as well make that exclusion. You know, just um, <laughs> but but <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. It's not always easy to be thankful. It's not easy to rejoice all the time. Life will will test us in this, and it's not that we're ever without. Uh, failure, but when we fail, we don't change our target and say, well, we were aiming too high. No, we repent for the failure, and we keep our eyes on the the target, which is rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. This is God's will for our lives, and the sooner we learn this and we obey this, the more we're going to see the supernatural, I believe, released into our lives, because I don't believe he can trust folks that are are bent on complaining and, and always being down and negative with the supernatural realms because it's just not a it's not a fit. Your character is developed when you're forcing or you're just agreeing and being obedient to rejoice and to pray and to give thanks even though your soul and your flesh aren't feeling it in that moment because life isn't treating you the way you want to be treated. And so it's an act of faith to press past those feelings and to continue to be obedient and to simply praise him. And I want to just before I go into the the continuation. There's, there's two versions of this passage in Psalm 22 that I just want to read. I believe I touched on this briefly in a worship service a few weeks ago, but this, this understanding, we we're singing a song that talks about He's enthroned upon the praises of a thousand generations and how God is enthroned on our praises. God sits in a place, the throne is a place of authority. And it says that his place of authority is actually where his praises are being lifted up and are are happening. And Psalm 22, 3 says, but thou art holy, in the King James Version, thou art holy, O thou, that inhabitest the praises of Israel. In the New King James it says, but you are holy, set apart, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Israel were God's people. He takes a position and a seat of authority when we choose to begin to praise him. If you've got things in your life that aren't under the authority of God's word and under the, the character of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, sometimes you can begin to see him act in authority and power over those things by simply beginning to praise him. It says that his place of power is seated upon the praises of his people. The enemy knows this. Why do you think sometimes it's so difficult to just get through what we have to get our mind around to be able to come to a place of just praising him with an open heart and just worshiping him and thanking him for everything that he is, even though our life might not be in the greatest <laughs> set of circumstances? It's an act of faith, but he's, this is one of the most basic things, and this is why all the earth can do this. It doesn't matter what tribe, tongue, nation... Every, this is a baseline truth and reality. We can all do this. We might not understand some of the, the deity of Christ or some of these doctrines that you can write books about, just one doctrine of faith. But we can all understand, hey, we have a creator, he made us, he put us here, and so let's give thanks to him because here we are. And when we'll start from a simple place of obedience, I believe that he trusts us with more. And I'm, I'm just finding how... Uh, challenging that is. When you begin to speak about these things, you suddenly realize how quickly you'll be tested on can you maintain a position of thanksgiving and praise before God, even though life is not really seeming to line up in something that you want to give thanks and praise for. But there's a principle here in, in 1 Peter chapter 2 that I want to, in the next few verses, that I think is important for us to start. And uh, I'm not sure if we'll finish it today or next week, but here's, we're going to start in, uh, well, I'll, I'll start in verse 9, 1 Peter 2, 9. which is what we Uh, read last week. And then we'll go on to verse 11 through 12. Our praise is our obedience. We praise, we obey. But when we obey, something else happens, which I think is very cool. In verse 9, it says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. In verse 11, it says, Beloved. That term is... is, is uh, he shifts gears here. He's just saying like, here, this is the purpose. We're, we're born again to be able to proclaim his praises who, who brought us from darkness to light. But then he's trying to say, but guys, listen to me. Brethren, family, beloved. He's shifting to a heart level. This is not an intellectual thing that he's saying. This is not a doctrinal teaching. He's shifting into this realm of the soul and of the heart. And he's saying, guys, listen. Those who are close to my heart. Beloved, I beg you. Listen, you hear hear the shift and the tone. He said, I'm begging you. Did you ever get to a place where someone just had to, or you had to plead with someone like, please don't do this. Please do this. Whatever. But you come to a place where it's not about logic anymore. It's not about rationale. It's about a heart. You're just, please, you're begging. uh, You know, drop to your knees. Maybe you had to do that to get married. I don't know. I I almost had to, didn't I? I think she saved me. That was a long time ago. Now she would make it a lot easier for me to, to catch her, I think. Now that she knows how wonderful I am, (laughs) beloved, I beg you, I beg you, beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims. He quickly identifies who he's talking to. If you don't understand that you're a sojourner and you're just a pilgrim here on earth, and all you see yourself as is an earthling, the kingdom won't make any sense to you. It'll seem like it's disconnected. It's too far away. It's unattainable. What what relevance does it have to my life? That's the problem. You're trying to make the kingdom relevant to your life instead of your life relevant to the kingdom. And there's a world of difference between the two. It's the cart and the horse. He says, "Sojourn." I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, the, the things of this life, that, that war, uh, says that, he says, they war against our souls. The things of this world that when they become in an obsessive uh, indulgence, they war against your soul. They begin to contaminate who you really are. They begin to have this inner conflict against who you know you're really called to be and who you feel like you are in a given moment because the behaviors and the, and the draw and the magnetism of earth it can come through all kinds of unforgiveness in different ways that the world seems to lock onto your soul and we call them soul ties and these things that sometimes uh, restrict us in our freedom in Christ, but they war against our soul. But then he says this, he says, Have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, isn't it amazing that when you get it all right, they're gonna speak against you as an evildoer? Does anybody see, pick up that in the frequency of, of the modern world that we live in? That when you do it right and you stand for what's right, you stand up for a cause that matters, all of a sudden you're the evildoer, you're the one that needs to be arrested. It's an incredible reality. How shifted and how twisted everything is upside down. But he says, but they're going to do it. They're going to speak against you as evildoers. But when they do, that they may by your good works, which they observe, still glorify God in the day of visitation. There is something here that Peter's trying to encourage those who are living out among the Gentiles, those who are outside of Christ. And he says, they're going to speak against you as an evildoer, but there ought to be a behavior about your life. Works that are happening through your life. That even though they're saying bad things about you, they can't help but deny something is at work in these people. And it doesn't say that they're going to glorify the people. It says they're going to glorify God when God shows up and reveals to them the reason they're different is because it's me in them. You don't just hate them. You actually hate me. And they're going to have, it says they're going to have a chance to glorify God in the day when he visits them. And so we hear good works. And immediately, there's, again, there's all this different theology. There's whole denominations formed around, well, what part do you bring to the table when it comes to your salvation? What part do your good works play? And you've got some religions and denominations that it's pretty much, if you're not good enough, then you have to basically stay in a temporary holding tank until maybe you get enough prayers built up in your account. And then you can get to the place where you're supposed to be. And it's all just about merit and good works and performances. And and it's really tragic because it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of man-made religion and the message that produces bondage in the human existence rather than true freedom. But I just want to clarify with a couple scriptures before we move on. When it says good works, Ephesians 2:10 makes it very clear: for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. The, we're created for good works. You're not just here, you didn't just get saved so that you can just go back and live life however you want to. You're created. Anew and born again so that you would perform the good works. But listen to which ones they are. The good, prepared for good works. Sorry, created for good works in Jesus Christ, which God prepared beforehand. Before you said yes to him, he already had good stuff prepared for you to do. And that we should walk in those good works. The good works that God has prepared for us. These aren't works that we have to concoct and we have to try to, you know... Come up with all these strategies to be doing the good work that the world's going to notice. If we just follow what God's prepared for our life, you're going to discover that people are going to take notice. And it's going to be a witness to them. And it can lead to them glorifying God in the day of visitation. Our obedience can actually produce praise in somebody else. And I think that's the gist of what I, I was trying to say last week. That when we praise, we obey. When we obey, we allow others the chance to praise. And our obedience is simply to be thankful, to be rejoicing always, to give thanks and to be understanding that he's the one who's prepared a life for us to walk through. And in case that doesn't solidify it for you, let's read Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 to 15. Again, Paul's writing to a different church, but he says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And so many people preach a message with a period after that statement. And they'll go back and they'll preach about how you have to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And they don't read the second part of the verse. And so there's a denomination formed pretty much based on that mindset. Listen to what it says. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you. Who's doing the work? It's God in you doing the work. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. You had no hope of redeeming yourself and neither did I. But Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, and he offers it to us freely by grace through faith. Our righteousness is from grace through faith through what Jesus has done, not through what we have done, lest anyone would boast. Get it through. Get it. If you can't get it through your head, just keep reading Ephesians 2 until it finally sinks in, and you'll get it. And you'll be glad that you finally understand the true gospel and not the one that's concocted to make us into these little... People trying to run around and compare our good works. Well, I did this, and you did that, and I can do this. And we compare, our, we measure ourselves among ourselves. And the Bible's very clear. It says we're not wise when we do that. And the enemy will stir that up so quick in a, in a group of believers so that we'll miss the fact that it's God who's at work in us. The works he prepared beforehand, that he's at work in us to complete them as long as we should walk in them. And it says, for it's God who, back to Philippians two twelve or 13, He says, God's at work in us to do and to will for his good pleasure, And look at the next verse, verse 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing. (laughs) Isn't it amazing how when you're going to obey God and you're going to follow God and you're going to allow his work in your heart, immediately the first two issues that he addresses that are going to be dealt with is complaining and disputing. The opposite of praise and thanksgiving. These things are so connected and they're so simple and we're going to need the spirit to do it. Though, Don't think you're still going to do it on your own just because it's simple. Verse 15 says that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. It's going to set us apart when we have this attitude that is not into what the world is into, which is complaining and disputing. We're going to shine. It's going to create a glow about us that they're not going to understand, and then they're going to ask us. Of course, they're going to say we're evildoers, but then eventually they can hopefully ask us, and they're going to glorify God because of it. Make no mistake, it is God's work that sanctifies us on the inside. It is God at work inside you to do and to will according to his good pleasure so that the works that you do will be the ones he's prepared for you. But it does require our obedience and our cooperation. God's sanctification and his work within us is not just automatic. It comes incrementally as we obey him. Your obedience is not a good work. Your obedience is just what you do when the master says do this. We read that last week. When we've done all these things, what are we to do? Look for thanksgiving from Him? No, we've just done what we were told to do. That's what a servant of the Master does. And that's who He is to us. He's Lord, and we follow what He does. Our obedience is required, though. I know that seems conflicting to us in our natural minds, but I just want to try to pull a few of these, ten- these thoughts that seem to have tension together with a couple stories from the Old Testament. And and um, just, I don't know, I just, this It's frustrating because there's whole groups that will just pick one of those sides. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, what must I do to be saved? I have to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. And they forget the next part. For it's God who's at work in you, according to his will and good pleasure to set you apart and sanctify you. And you have to take the whole, if you take any one piece of this message of the gospel and you just focus on it, you can miss the big picture. And when you miss the big picture... It's like having a piece of the puzzle and thinking that you have the whole picture. You don't. You just have that piece. And it's an important piece. And if it's not in the puzzle, the puzzle's not complete. But it's just a piece. And we have to sometimes lay down some of what we've thought and we've had such a great handle on and say, Lord, okay, please teach me more. That's why it says pray without ceasing because we may think we've said everything to God he needs to hear from us. But trust me, he's got more he would like to say to us than what we've already heard. (laughs) And so... I just had this, I don't know how this fits, and it fits a little bit. Hopefully, I can try to make it fit. But who likes potluck? P- bring and share. Like, you know, it's like, what are we having for dinner? I don't know. Everybody brings something, right? It's, one of, it's fun because you get to bring something that you like to bring, and somebody else gets to bring something either left over from their fridge, if they're those sorts of folks. Or hopefully, they actually take time to, to uh, make something nice that represents their culinary expertise. But it's really exciting because if you like food, which I do, um, I like to cook food, but you always hear this, there's almost this, every time there's a conversation that begins to happen as everyone's eating like, oh, this is really good. Oh, this, who made this? And it's all this, your conversation, right? Because you want to know who, oh, this is really good. And if it's, I was going to say, if it doesn't matter which gender you are, guys ask and girls ask too, but could have got myself in trouble there. Everybody wants to know how to make this food, right? And so you ask, how, what, how did you, what is it? What's, do you have the recipe? Can you send me the recipe, whatever? Like, oh, you hear them say, oh, it, it's just so easy. It's, it's, just, it's just love, right? But when you ask somebody, do they, they, almost always the response is, oh, it's really so easy. It's no big deal. It's just this, and it's just this, and it's just this, and you just do this, and you just do that. And then five minutes later, you're like, that does not sound easy. Now, see, I'm not in the kitchen as much as my wife is. Is that fair to say? That's, am I chauvinistic because of that? No. She, she just loves to cook. I love to cook, but she cooks more than I do. I, I, I thought that was a pretty safe way to say, okay. I got two thumbs up from mama. But I'll, I'll be like, this is so good. This is amazing. And I'll, this is really delicious. Like, How did you, what's different about it? It's different than the last time you had it. It's like, oh, I don't know, it's just a little, oh, I tried this, I tried that, and I went and I got this brand of this. And all of a sudden you realize they say, oh yeah, it's just so easy. But when you listen to what they say, you realize it might be easy for them. Like I asked her how to make, she's like, "Well, just make some rice to go with it. I'm like, okay, does everybody else ever try to cook rice? Not the parboiled stuff, but like from scratch, like rice where you gotta like do all the stuff to make it and expect it to come out like, it's, yeah, it's easy because you. I could have gotten in trouble again. You know why it's easy for you. It's not easy. But she says, oh, it's so, it's so easy. I, I showed Adasa how to do it. She knows how to do it, and that's my 13-year-old. So I'm thinking, okay, how hard can it be? She's like, yeah, you just do this, you just do that. You, you cover it, you, you do this, and it looks a certain way, then you, put, you take the lid off, you crack it, you, you, you add a little more if it needs, and I'm like, that's not easy. It's not easy. Now, my wife makes perfect rice every time, but when she's telling me what's so easy to her, and I begin to think about it. Everybody you ask, doesn't matter if it's that favorite salad that they bring or their special, people get known at Christian church potlucks because they kind of tend to bring some of the same things because they're so good. They had their niche dish, you know? And they'll say, oh, it's so easy. You just got to do this, this, and this. And they don't share the recipe, but they're willing to tell you what it is. I think there's something to it. They're just trying to protect that maybe. But I'm thinking, why is it so easy for them to just spout off with no recipe card, but they can just, and and five minutes later, you got the recipe for how to make this easy dish. It's just, boom, five minutes and just put it on the table. And then you think about it, it would take me two hours to do what I just heard them say, and I probably still wouldn't get it right, because it just is not as simple as they're trying to tell you that it is. And I thought, it's interesting that it's always that way. Like, you never ask somebody, oh, this is delicious, <laughs> and go, oh, well, I tell you, but it's just so complicated, it's so, it's just really difficult, and I mean, you could probably try to do it, but it wouldn't be anywhere near as good as I do it, so just, I'll bring this dish. You laugh because you've never heard that, but that's the truth. The truth is, that stink, the reason they're the only ones that can make it is because they cracked the code, and they know how to do it, and they're telling you that it's easy, but it's not. We'd probably be insulted if they told us how difficult it really was and that we shouldn't try it ourselves because we're probably going to mess it up because I mess rice up. I don't know how, you know, you think, oh, it's too this or just add a little water or a little more steam time or whatever. No, once it's messed up, it's messed up. There's no redeeming bad rice. <laughs> it's just something about that, is it, I don't know, a vegetable starch, with grain, whatever it is. But it, if this is, to me, this is where, I think there's a segue into what we were talking about before that. And it's this. For God, it's easy. Our righteousness in Christ is not hard for him. He's already perfected the recipe. He's done it millions and millions and millions of times. He's not still looking at the recipe card for like, oh, yeah, this person's a little different. I wonder, maybe I'm going to have to add a little more of this or this. No, Jesus Christ is your righteousness. If any man be in Christ, he's brand new, he's made over, he has a a path in front of him that looks like the path Jesus walked. That's the truth of how easy it is for God. He's done this millions and millions and millions of times. He's not suddenly thrown off by our unique situation and think, ooh, you got me there. I'm not sure how to make this one the righteousness of my son. That's going to take a little extra pepper or salt or whatever it is that you think you might need. No, it's the same for all of us. We all come to the same narrow gate. It's Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Yes. There's no add-on to that. There's no good work that you can pair with Jesus that you can put alongside Jesus and say, okay, now I can get in. It's just Jesus. And once you add anything to Jesus, you've got nothing. That's right. Jesus plus nothing is everything. Jesus plus anything is nothing. This is the core foundation of our salvation by faith through Jesus Christ, by grace through faith. We just have to choose to believe it or still wrestle with the fact of what it is that we're going to do to believe it. But for Jesus, it's easy. For God, it's easy. He's like, I know how to get this to work for you. The question is, from our perspective, sometimes it seems really difficult. It's like, wow, that's a lot. I need to do, and he begins to speak to us about parts of our life, about little things that need adjusting, and it sounds all of a sudden complicated, but it's not complicated for him. He knows that Jesus is the way, and when your heart is set for him, the details all come together, and all of a sudden, you realize you're walking a path that you had no access to before Christ. That's the nature of salvation. That's the reality of this gospel message. It's easy for him to lead us in a path of righteousness, because that's the path that he walks, and if we're following him, guess what? We're walking on the same path, following Jesus. Not following some doctrine, not following some book, not trying to understand some complex theology or some doctrine that seems to have people confused or, or bickering or disputing among themselves. Don't no, just follow Jesus. Amen. Just follow the one who, with whom without we have no hope of eternal life or salvation. He's our example. He's done it a ton of times. It's not complicated for him. Listen in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He says that God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. There's nothing else you can add to that. There's nothing else you can take away from that and still have the power of what it is. We become righteous through what Jesus Christ did. People tend to jump to the good works part because they say, well, okay, now how do I? And you miss the, 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 just the depth of what was just said. That for God to make you righteous was nothing. He already accomplished it. It cost him everything. He did it once and for all time. Jesus is not coming back again to do it for you because you are outside of the special grid that those who could follow Jesus were able to follow back then. It's just Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus alone. It's saying, Jesus, I believe in you. I'm here. I need to be rescued. I need salvation. I need to be redeemed. I don't have righteousness of my own, but you have righteousness because you didn't know any sin, but you became sin on the cross for me. Yes, sir. I accept that. Thank you. Eternal life is now mine. Does it grow from there? Absolutely. Do you become the fullness and the measure and you grow into Jesus by the Holy Spirit's leading? Absolutely. But we confuse sometimes the salvation moment when we receive him by faith and we become the righteousness of Christ by faith and by faith alone, by grace through faith is the only way you can get there. And we confuse that with the journey that ensues as we walk the journey through the rest of our days here on earth. And that confusion costs a lot of people dearly. Because they walk in confusion, they walk in frustration, they walk in a sense of condemnation, and they walk short of the glory of Christ because they haven't started at the start. Which is to realize you were never going to get there on your own. You can't get there on your own. And as soon as you begin to try, you begin to lose everything that the gospel truly is, which is grace through faith alone. And I want to look at it the way that I read a scripture and it kind of triggered some of these these thoughts, and it was found in Isaiah forty three sixteen. These two distinct realities, and I just was reading through the scripture and I thought, wait a minute, it's talking about two things. It's just Isaiah forty three sixteen says, "Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, and a path through the mighty waters. A way in the sea and a path through the mighty, and a path through the mighty waters. The way through the sea was Egypt." Being left behind as the Israelites walked through the the parted Red Sea and it reclosed and took out everybody that was trying to follow tissue. Two distinct events. We good? <laughs> you guys probably can't see me. She can see me. The camera guy's probably zooming in on my face. This. <laughs> <laughs> Away in the sea and a path through the mighty waters. In Joshua three and four, we don't have time to read the stories here, but this is the part. Where Israel has come out of Egypt, they've been in the wilderness, they made it to the promised land, but they complained (laughs) about God's promise, and so he sends them back around until all the complainers were dead, and now Joshua and Caleb are about to go in there. The only two of the spies who are still around, and they were going to now lead the people into the promised land, and it says that in in Joshua 3 and 4, it it just begins to discuss how they're going to go across the Jordan River, which is at flood stage. Now, if you remember the story of of the deliverance out of Egypt, they come to the Red Sea. The enemies are coming up behind them. There's all this pressure. It's like, we're about to die. And Moses just lifts up his staff, and all of a sudden, God just does this miraculous thing. God did the whole thing. All they had to do was say, okay, let's, let's walk through this so that we don't die. There was a lot of pressure involved, there was a lot of emergency, and God did the entire thing by himself. Boom, done. When you get to the story of Joshua 3 and 4, which I really think you should read through, there's so much in it that's very, very powerful. But when you get to it, you realize, you realize that the, the Jordan River is now in flood stage. It says it's overflowed the banks, the whole thing, there's no way to cross this. And just across it is the promised land, the land of promise. And when, you, when you're delivered by God and salvation comes to our life and we're born again and we're and we're put out of, we're brought from Egypt and we're given our freedom. Um, sometimes there's a bit of distance between that and when we fully begin to walk into the promises that God has for all who believe. As believers, there are a unique set of promises that now apply to us that did not apply to us when we were in the world, when we were in Egypt. And there's a way he wants us to access those. There's a way he wants us to come into those. But he's not going to just do it all by himself like he did the Red Sea. And so he instructs them. He says, that send the priests into the water first. As soon as the priests were standing ankle deep in the water, carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which was the place where God's presence was, then suddenly the waters of the Jordan River at flood stage were stopped, and it says they began to pile up into towns and villages on the backside, and all the people, as the water dried up, walked through on dry ground into the land of promise. Many people don't even know that story. We just know know the Red Sea story so well, but we don't realize it still took a divine miracle for them to get to the place of promise, that God didn't intend to deliver them from Egypt to live them out in the wilderness to just die and just have some unsustainable long-term life. He wanted to give them a place called the land of promise. In fact, he promised them this land when they were still in Egypt. There's a land flowing with milk and honey. Can you imagine how that must have sounded to a slave? under the Egyptian you know, whips and being forced to build things with, with bricks and straw and have to do all this, this work. They were slaves for centuries, and all of a sudden they're hearing about this land of promise. God's telling them, Moses, my deliverer, will we'll lead you into this place where you're going to have, you know, that, that to them must have just sounded ridiculous because I don't know about you, but slaves back then did not get treated very well, and historically slaves are rarely treated well. And they were in a condition where there were, it had to be so hard to hear about this place, where it's all good and all amazing, but they had to believe enough to follow Moses. And it took some time, and it took some plagues and a bunch of miraculous intervention, but eventually they get to the wilderness. Now they're at the promised land, and they're at the edge of it, and yet again, a body of water. But here it's something different. They didn't move forward based on pressure of an enemy behind them. They were drawn forward by the presence of the Holy Spirit stepping into the river first, And then allowing them to have access to it from downstream. What was once downstream is now a place where they can cross. They get to the other side. The priests begin to come through. And as soon as they step out, the waters come back through. And the Jordan River is back flowing just like it was. And they are on the land of promise side. It's an amazing story. It's an incredible thing. But there's this distinct difference. They now were led into a place that before they were driven to. I don't know about you. Some of us were driven to a place of needing Jesus for our salvation. We were like, it's game over unless you do something, Lord. Some worse than others, and there's no point comparing that. That's not the point. The point is we came to a moment where we realized if he doesn't do something, I have nothing left to sustain this hope that anything could ever be uh, eternally better. And so there's, so there's a difference there. So he leads us, he leads them, he makes a way in the sea, and he makes a path to be led through the mighty waters, and so please, read that story and 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 process it in your own, in your own way. It's, it's, it's wonderful. But I want to go to Ephesians chapter 1. You don't have to go there if you don't want to, because I'm kind of cruising through this. But I'm giving you references. You can go back and study this. It's, a, it's an amazing difference, and I think there's many people frustrated because they don't understand. They thought salvation and coming through the Red Sea, and your past and your bondage has been done away with, and you think, okay, here I am in the wilderness, and that only lasts so long because until you make it to the land of promise, you're not in the full intention of God's heart. He didn't say, I'm delivering you to this wilderness. I'm delivering you to the land of milk and honey. It wasn't the wilderness. In fact, he had to provide emergency food for them, manna, which although it was okay for a while, it was not the milk and honey that they had been promised. And he wanted to get them there if they would choose to be thankful and, and stay in a praising, with a praising attitude. And so Ephesians 1.13 just says this, 13 and 14, in him, Jesus, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, having believed, saved, you believed, you were redeemed from the curse of sin and death. Having believed, past tense, you were then sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. What is the land called that God wants to bring us to? The land of promise. What do we need in that place? We need the Holy Spirit of promise the, the the peter we've been given these exceedingly great and precious promises that through these promises we can partake of the divine nature god relates to his children through promise the land that they were inheriting was a land called promise if you don't believe god's word you will never experience his full power and provision for your life it doesn't come by it comes by believing the promise And guess how we are guided and led into that place? The Holy Spirit of promise. Who, listen, there's a comma there. Holy Spirit of promise, comma. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? Do you realize that God personally, himself, is the guarantee that we walk into our inheritance? The promised land that he's promised our lives? The promise of eternal life, you can't get there just by doing the good works. You can't get there by, by following every other part of it. You have to get there through the Holy Spirit. He's the guarantee of your inheritance. Amen. No amount of performance, no amount of repentance, no amount of anything, no amount of sacrificial giving, no, power, no, no, no amount of anything you can generate in yourself can ever guarantee a future in eternity with the Lord, with our Heavenly Father. He himself is the guarantee. If any man be in Christ, not a new set of rules and doctrines and understandings and revelations. In Christ is the only way. It's the same with the Holy Spirit. The only way to inherit the fullness of what he's provided is himself. That's why he's called the Holy Spirit of promise. He's the spirit of the promised land. People, I don't know about you, but I've been driving a lot of interstate lately. I've been traveling more than I probably ever have in my life mostly on interstate. And there's something you're going to learn if you travel long distances. You need rest areas. And rest areas become a very close friend the older you get. And I'm not old. I'm not saying that I'm old because I'm not trying to compete. I'm saying as you just get a little older than 30s, you have less time from when you think you should stop to when you need to stop. And those rest areas become a staple of a successful Move from point A to point B, but I don't know how plain. I mean, let's just say they can save. Maybe not. Yeah, they could save your life too if you're dozing off. They could save your life. They could certainly save your upholstery, um, as well. At least I can blame that on Pastor David because he encouraged me. He said, "Make it please," he said, "Make it plain." I don't know if you heard him. Is that plain enough? All right, <laughs> But a rest area, is there's nothing else you need in that moment. That is like the highest, you don't need a restaurant, you don't need fuel, you just need that place. But you don't stay there for very long. You camp out at a rest area, I mean, maybe you need to sleep for a couple hours, you need a cat nap. Okay, it's noisy, trucks are coming and going, doors are slamming. It, it's okay for a minute if it keeps you alive and gets you that little bit of rest that you needed. But nobody camps out there. It's a, it's a place designed to pass through. And I feel like the wilderness in, in, in it is a very simple, you can use it as an analogy to this wilderness part of being, you are saved, you are redeemed, you are promised the land of milk and honey. And it's great to not be under the whips Of the Egyptian taskmasters, I'm sure they appreciated after a while, like, yeah, the food's not great, the water's unpredictable sometimes, but at the end of the day, their children were being raised up in a place where all they were talking about after 20 or 30 years and the other ones that complained were dying, they began to think about the promised land. They began to be told about this place, that God hasn't changed his mind. There's still a place of promise, and we're going to go through it. And yes, there's a big river in front of it, but God has a plan for us to get to the other side of it. And suddenly, they follow God's plan to the T. His presence goes, they come alongside, and the next thing you know, they're on the land of promise side of of the Jordan River. And something I've learned about in my own life, and maybe you've learned it too, is that sometimes the greatest promises, the greatest places of territory that God wants me to get to, they're bordered by something there's something in the way. Maybe it's not a river. Maybe it's great walls. They got across the river and then they hit Jericho. We talked about that last week. They come against the city with walls. They have no means to break it down. It's amazing to me that God never told them about the land of milk and honey flows with milk and honey and great wall cities and giants and rivers and things that you can't get. He didn't even mention all that stuff because he had the plan for all that. He already had that all worked out. He just needed them to follow his instructions. They didn't need to calculate and figure it out. They just had to follow him. This is what it's called to be led by the Spirit. Those who are led by the Spirit are the sons and daughters of God. If you're not led by the Spirit, if you're trying to do it on your own and you're trying to concoct something that's going to impress God, you're always going to be frustrated and you're just parked at a rest area on the way to the promised land wondering why after a couple weeks. It's just not very great. It smells. It's noisy. It's not a place to... You weren't supposed to stay there. It was a temporary spot to catch your breath and to keep going to the land of promise. How do you get there? The Holy Spirit of promise. We've inherited these amazing promises because in them we partake of the divine nature. God will never stop relating to us except through promises. The second return, the final setting of everything right on earth, it's a promise that He's made to us. Heaven that awaits those who believe, who have been cleansed by the blood of Christ, it's a promise that we cling to by faith. This is a walk of faith. We're people of faith. We believe the promises of God, but there's two voices always, at least. Some have the privilege of multiple, and that's not good either, but there's at least two voices. (laughs) That's just driving... I was just getting off the New Paul's exit just two weeks ago, and I was listening to Christian radio, and I was going across the overpass, over the thruway, and all of a sudden, the Christian radio was picking up this other station, and, like, you'd hear, like, a, you know, how great, it was two words of a song, and then you'd hear, like, it was, like, a, like a talk show, so it wasn't even, like, two different songs competing, like, just talking finances or whatever, and then you hear two words of a song, and you hear, like, all the songs back, and then they're talking about money again, and it was just this weird but that's how it is in our life. There's the, the, these frequencies are everywhere. We've got to choose what we're going to tune in and listen to. There's a lot of voices that want to tell us which way is up and how to get there. But there's only one that's true, that has our best interest. And there's only one that's promised us the place that he's prepared for us. And he's worth following. He's worth believing. He's not a man that he should lie. His promises are true. All of Christianity, all of faith in God is hung on the fact that he backs his word to perform it. And if he's not a man, if he doesn't follow through on his word, we all have nothing. We have no hope of heaven. We have no hope of salvation. It's all through promise. The question is, do we believe it? I want to read Isaiah 43 as we close, just the first two verses. Says, But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear Not for I have redeemed you. In God's understanding, he's already finished the work. It's already a done deal. It's just us here stuck in time walking this through that we can sometimes question, did he really? Was he really successful? Yes, he was successful. It says, I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. There's no doubt in God's heart who you belong to. He has called you. He has saved you. He has redeemed you. He has made you his. He says, I have made you mine. I called you by your name and said, you belong to me. This is how God sees us. And we have to learn to see ourselves that way because we're still here trying to wrestle. And what do we usually use to wrestle, whether it's true or not? Our own performance. Whether you had a good week or a good day or a bad day or whatever you did or didn't have, whether you're sick or whether you're healthy, you, all, you think any of those things have any impact on how God sees you and whether he's called you and made you his own. Amen. The enemy would love to convince you that those things are part of the, of the equation. They're not. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's just Jesus. It's just our willingness to follow what the Holy Spirit wants to lead us into. He says, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. He didn't say you won't go through waters. He says, I'll be with you, though. And when you go through the rivers, they're not going to overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you. How do we know? Because he's with us. Because our guarantee is not written out on paper. Our guarantee is the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. I don't know about you, but if you need a better guarantee than the Holy Spirit for what He has promised you, who are you going to give more credence to? The voice of your mind? The voice of condemnation of the enemy? Your flesh? The mirror? What, what, what way would you measure yourself that would say, yeah, Holy Spirit, I don't know if you can really pull this off, even though you're the one that's been given, promised that my inheritance will be secure because of you. God himself says, I'm guaranteeing it. Where is there room for doubt in that? How does doubt creep in if he himself is the guarantee that the inheritance has been secured through what Jesus did? I'll tell you how deception. Deception. We could be deceived out of the simple truth of what's been just said from the word of God. And we know who tells the lies. Jesus said when he lies, he speaks his native tongue. He doesn't know how to tell truth. He just questions everything. The first thing he tells Adam and Eve, right? Did God really He questions? Because once you believe what God says, nothing else matters. No other voice has weight in your life, only God's voice. But sometimes the promises, they're bordered by obstacles. God's got a plan how to deal with them. He knows how to deal with obstacles. Psalm 23, verse 5 says this. David writes, Lord, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. When God is making the meal, you don't have to wonder how it's going to taste when he's finished. The marriage supper of the lamb, you think someone's going to take a bite of that steak and be like, ooh, this is a little chewy. It's going to be the best you've ever had. When God's at work in someone's life, you think he's doing a halfway job, like he forgot to add a little something that they know. He knows exactly what every single one of us need. It's Jesus, his son. It's the revelation of Jesus, his son. That what He endured, what He suffered, what He offers to us freely by grace through faith is enough that the Holy Spirit can move in on that belief and guarantee a path through the waters. Because they're not going to wash over us. They're not going to sweep us away. How do we know that? Because He said, I'll be with you. And better than that, He said, when you're sitting down in the presence of your enemies, I'll cook for you. He said, I'll prepare the meal not going to take the enemies away and I'm not going to wait just till this one day high in the sky he's going to make you a meal right in the presence of everything that's going wrong and everything that shouldn't be the way that it is he says right there I'm going to show you how I know how to cook <laughs> yeah you think Gordon Ramsay knows something we got to choose who we're listening to folks there are so many voices out there that even if you're tuned into the right one another voice can creep in on that one Jesus knows how to get us where he wants us to be. Follow him. He didn't say, go and figure it out. He said, come follow me. I like the ones where they say, well, I could try to tell you how to make it, but just come on over on such and such a night and I'll show you. Those are the recipes that if you take the time to do that, you're like, oh, okay, that's not so hard. There's something about having... He's already done this, folks. We can look through scriptures and see how he did it and what he's accomplished and what he's done. We just have to truly align ourselves to say, you know what, I'm tired of figuring this out on my own. I'm just going to follow what you've shown us because what you've shown us is delicious. It produces a fruit and a beauty in people's hearts that you can't find from the systems of this world. They're temporary. They're Band-Aids. But what he offers us is a transformed, brand new, completely reborn existence through Jesus Christ let's stand together this morning I hope that gospel is clear to you Jesus we're thankful that you've given us a simple gospel and Lord we just ask that you'd help us to guard our own hearts today lest as the serpent was crafty and deceived Eve away from the simplicity which was in you that we too Lord could get distracted and get focused on our own failures, our own existences, our own successes, and miss the fact that this great gift, the greatest gift that's ever been given, it comes freely and it comes without strings attached, but it comes with you attached that you are the gift and that Holy Spirit, you are the guarantee. You are here with us to get us through these barriers and these borders that seem to always be keeping us from places of promise. Lord, you've promised us eternal life. You've promised us redemption and healing for our bodies and healing for our minds. And and you've promised wisdom to us, Lord. The things in life we don't know how, which way to turn, how to decide them. You have promised us your wisdom, not just a little, but abundant wisdom. Liberally, without any reproach. Lord, we ask you for these things this morning, not because you haven't done enough, but because you said that if we would ask of you, that you would give them to us. Lord, forgive us for the times when we think of ourselves as less than your children, your precious ones, ones that you've called by name, ones that you have said, you are mine. Forgive us, Lord. Sometimes we're easily distracted and we can believe the lies. But, Lord, we belong to you, and no one can snatch us from your hand. You've promised us this. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would touch hearts this morning, that we could walk out with a a confidence knowing that we are the ones that shine as lights in a dark world, that we don't need to look someplace else, but it's you shining in us, Jesus. Jesus, we're thankful because we had no qualification to receive this gift other than we believed you. And we chose to believe your words and your promises. Father, we thank you for this day. What a beautiful day. We thank you that spring is coming, that this journey that we're on doesn't end in a rest area, but it ends in the promised land of all promised lands. Father, we desire your presence to not just be here with us now, but to be available to us and be able to be felt by us as we leave this place, as we drive where we drive, and as we sit, as we eat, as we walk, as we sleep, Lord, that your abiding presence would be understood for the great value that it is, that it's a promise you've made to us, that you are with us always, even to the very end of this age. God, I thank you that you always follow your word to complete it and it does not come back empty to you. Father, I thank you that as your word has gone forth this morning, maybe hearts have already been touched and lives have already been touched, but Lord, I know that you still desire for us to come before you and to ask of you. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are faithful to give us the petitions of our heart. It's in your name that we pray, Lord. All God's people said, amen. Amen. If you could use prayer this morning for anything at all, we have a prayer team here that would love a chance to pray for you you're battling with anything that you feel like you just need someone to agree with you on come on to the front we're going to pray over you and believe for God's touch upon your life God bless you shine bright